The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, good morning, LCC Caloundra. It is great to be with you this morning, even if it is just church online on your screen. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to come up this morning and be with you in person, obviously because of restrictions, uh, but we've been here before, we know what to expect, and I guess our desire through this whole thing is that we might love God and love others well. I do have the privilege of continuing our series in 2 Timothy as we look at what is arguably Paul's last letters ever written. As he sits in prison, waiting his death, he writes to his young protege, Timothy, to encourage him in the faith. To encourage him to press on, to keep on keeping on, to endure suffering and to be strengthened by grace. Uh, We looked at it two weeks ago, we started the series and and Jimmy started it looking at uh, fanning into flame the gift that God has given us. Being bold in the faith, uh, but also finding life, finding true life only in Jesus. And then last week, Sam spoke about not being ashamed of the gospel, but guarding the good deposit. And today we, we look at chapter 2. We turn to chapter 2 and we look at verses 1 to 13 uh, to see what else Paul wants to say to young Timothy. His last words. Uh, what else he wants to leave with him before his impeding death. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into it. Lord, thank you that you are with us this morning. Uh, no matter where we are, whether we are online or whether we're in person, God, that you are with your people Thank you that as we open your word, uh, we pray you might speak to us, that we might be encouraged by it, we might be strengthened by it, and that all the more we might see your goodness and your love for us. God, I pray you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts this morning, that we might just not hear words, but that we might be changed from this, that we might trust all the more in you. So Holy Spirit, I pray you speak through me this morning that your words would go out. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, I didn't actually know if I was going to make it here this morning. Not, not obviously up there because I didn't make it up there. I'm, I'm sitting on my couch. But make it to this sermon. Make, be able to preach this sermon. Uh, some of you might be aware. Others may not. But my wife and I have had a pretty tough last few months. Uh, we've been surrounded by a lot of loss, a lot of death. Uh, four weeks ago today, in fact, I lost my mother unexpectedly, passed away, and it's been rough, to say the least. Uh, no matter what kind of person you are, when you face this kind of suffering, uh, you're confused, you have questions. And, and this, this is exactly what I needed during this time. These short 13 verses, as I studied them, as I read them, I found strength, I found courage, and I found hope in the face of suffering. No matter whether you're suffering from the loss of a loved one, or whether you're suffering from your own physical or mental health, whether you're suffering from broken relationships, or or like Timothy and Paul, maybe you're suffering as a direct result of preaching the gospel boldly. Whether you live, uh, when you live long enough, you will face suffering in some way. That's just the world we live in, right? But we all have to do something with suffering. When my mother passed away, I, uh, I'm still grieving now. I'm still suffering now. And I know I have to do something with it. And I think as we read these verses, we'll see uh, Paul give us 
some encouragement of what to do in the face of suffering. How to be strengthened by grace in suffering. And so uh, this is exactly where Timothy finds himself. He is suffering. He is weary. He's experienced opposition outside the church, but also opposition within the church. He is arguably questioning his faith, looking at his mentor, Paul, seeing he's in prison as a criminal and wondering whether I can trust this man. Timothy is weary and he is wondering whether it's all worth it. And so Paul writes this beautiful letter, letter. especially in chapter 2 here, we see this encouragement from a man well-versed in suffering to his young Timothy. He writes this, verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, we think this is the, the main focus of the entire letter, the central verse of the... We've named our series after this verse, Strengthened by Grace. And so in these eight weeks we spend in, in 2 Timothy, if you learn nothing, somehow you hear nothing, I pray that you remember this verse, that you can be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy obviously needed strength. He was weary. And Paul writes this to him. Be strengthened by grace that is in Christ. Not be strengthened by your own abilities or skills. Not be strengthened by your own faith. Not be strengthened by those around you or your knowledge of things, which are all good things. But Paul knows the only thing that's going to get Timothy through is grace. And so he writes, be strengthened by grace. Paul knows if if Timothy is going to persevere in the faith, continue fighting the good fight and finish well, it is only the grace of Christ that will get him through. And this strengthening that, that Paul talks about is not something that can come from within Timothy. This is a strengthening that comes from outside Timothy. It's not something he can foster up within himself. He can't pull up his bootstraps or his socks and work hard at being strong. No, this is a be strengthened by grace. Let the Lord strengthen you. By his grace. And what we see when we, we read this in the Greek is the strengthening is also a continual action, not a once off be strong and you're done. It's a day in, day out, momentary, lifelong action of allowing the Lord to strengthen you by his grace. In every moment that you're feeling weary, the Lord strengthen you by his grace. In every situation, Timothy, where you feel like you just can't keep going, let the Lord strengthen you by his grace. This actually echoes Paul's command in Ephesians. We studied a few months ago doing our fearless series, looking at the armor of God, where Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the armor of God. We see one, it's God's armor that we're putting on. It's God's strength that we're receiving. But we also came to realize that it's a putting on of the armor every day. Wake up, put the armor of God on. Wake up, put the armor of God on. It's a day in, day out, putting on the armor. And this is what Paul was saying to Timothy here. Every day, let the grace of Jesus strengthen you. We read in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, Paul, in the midst of his suffering, right, when he's pleading to the Lord to take away this thorn in his flesh, he writes this. He writes, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, coming from the Lord. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
what Timothy needed to hear, and I think what we all need to hear this morning, is that God's grace is sufficient for us. That when we are weak, He is strong. Not when we are strong, not when we can bring something to the table, but in our weakness, God is strong. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So we need to come to the Lord with our weakness and allow Him to strengthen us by His grace. We need to rely solely on the grace of Christ to get us through. And not just in the face of suffering do we need this strength, right? We need the strength of God when we try and live godly lives. We need to be strengthened by grace when we try and put to death sin in our life. We need to be strengthened by grace when we proclaim the gospel boldly, when we love our neighbors, when we lay our lives down for others. In all that we do as Christians, we need to be strengthened by grace. We need to come back to the unmerited favor of the Lord that He offers us freely and be strengthened by it. See, Paul is saying to Timothy, the same grace that saved you, Timothy, is the same grace that is going to sustain you. The same grace that brought you from death to life, as we looked at in chapter 1, is the same grace that is going to get you through till the end. And then we see Paul go on to tell Timothy uh, a few specific reasons why and a a few specific things he's going to need strength for. And he starts here in verse 2. He writes, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The first thing Timothy is going to need strength for, right, is to entrust to other faithful men what he has heard from Paul. So as Paul sits in prison, about to die, his friends have abandoned him. His concern here is that the gospel message, the truths about God will be passed on from generation to generations. That from Paul to Timothy to these men who will then be able to teach other men. Paul's concern here is that Timothy would continue in the work of discipleship. That he would entrust to other faithful men the gospel. He would entrust to other faithful men the gospel. Yes, we looked at it. We need to guard the good deposit. But here, Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to entrust it to others. You need to continue to share the faith. We are all called to share our faith, whether we are pastors or not. We are called to make disciples of Jesus, to walk, to share, to struggle, to wrestle, to stumble together in our faith towards Christ. And I think this charge for discipleship here that Paul gives Timothy is actually a continuation of his encouragement to Timothy. Because Paul knows there is nothing more encouraging than seeing someone meet Jesus for the first time. There is nothing more encouraging than seeing a brother or sister understand more fully their adoption as a son or daughter of God. And there is nothing more encouraging than welcoming a brother or sister home if the Lord has used you in that process also. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy, be strengthened by grace. Discipleship is hard, but it's also encouraging. It ignites a flame in us, a fire in us that nothing else can. This is Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Sometimes I think some of us feel spiritually dry. It's because we haven't experienced lately the joy of seeing somebody meet Jesus for the first time. We haven't experienced people understand the love of Christ despite their sin and what He has done for them on the cross. So sometimes the thing that we're too weary to do is actually the thing that's going to get us through to keep on keeping on in the faith. 
And this is what Paul's saying to Timothy. Yeah, if you're feeling weary, keep on the task of discipleship. That you might see the power of God at work through you, yes, but also through the lives of those that you preach the gospel to, that you entrust the faith to. And then Paul moves on to the second thing that Timothy is going to need strength by grace for, right? He talks about uh, echoing chapter 1 verse 8 where he says, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We're to share in suffering. But here Paul gives us three pictures or metaphors of what it means to share in suffering as Christians and for Timothy specifically as a pastor. He writes, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share in the crops. So Paul gives us these three pictures here. The picture of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. All pictures illustrating that we must share in suffering. That we have to live a certain way. And I would argue that this way that we are called to live is a way that should and will lead to suffering. This is what Paul is saying. But this is a weird concept for a lot of us, right? Because we do all we can to avoid suffering, to avoid difficult situations, to make sure our lives are as easy, as comfortable and as controlled as possible. Yet here Paul says, no, you're called to share in suffering. You're called to share in suffering with other Christians. This is to be done side by side. As we walk this journey as Christians, we are called to share in suffering. It's because we're called to live a different way. The gospel is offensive. Living holy is offensive to some. And we're called to live a way that should bring suffering. In fact, Paul later on this letter says, anybody who seeks to live a godly life will be persecuted. And Jesus himself writes, he says, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow me, there will be trials and suffering for you. In fact, they will treat you how they treated me. And so we're called to share in suffering. And we're going to go through these analogies real quickly. The first one to share in suffering is a soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. It's his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Uh, this soldier or, or battle analogy is, is one of Paul's favorite. He always talks about being in a battle, fighting the good fight. And yet here he uses this analogy to illustrate the focus of the soldier, the single-mindedness of the soldier in battle. That he's not to be distracted or entangled by those things around him, but he's to focus on the task at head that he might please the one who enlisted him. And we'll see all these analogies. There is an action and there is a reward. If we avoid entanglements as a soldier, we will please the one who enlisted us. And I want to be clear here, this entanglements that Paul speaks about is, is, is not saying that as Christians, we can only be pastors or traveling evangelists. That is not what Paul is saying at all. And we know this because Paul himself had a side hustle. When he was traveling around on his mission trips and he needed some extra coin, he would make tents. That's what Paul did. So he's not saying we can't do normal things or have normal jobs. What Paul is speaking against here is not secular activities, but entanglements. Not being absent from the world, but not being caught up in the things of the world. We know soldiers are, it's a 24-7 job. It's an everyday, every moment. They give their lives, their talents, their skills, their bodies, all to the military. 
And this is how Paul is calling Timothy to live. And this is how we as Christians are called to live. Giving all we are to the Lord, to our faith, to our walk with Jesus. We're called to surrender all to Him. Do all things for His glory, focused wholeheartedly with our eyes fixed on Jesus. That we might please the one who enlisted us. And if we think about these entanglements that Paul talks about, our job is to discern what they are in our lives. We might think they're always bad things, but I would argue that most of the time, especially for Christian, the things that entangle us are actually good things that were then taken and put on the throne that only Jesus belongs. It's our job is to discern what are these things that entangle us. They could be relationships. They could be uh, our careers, our desire for comfort, family. could be wealth. Whatever there are, Paul is saying we need to avoid these things, especially if we are putting them on the throne. Yes, they are good things, but we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, on the main thing. We need to throw off, like the writer of Hebrews says, throw off all the things that hinder and entangle us. And so as a soldier, yes, we're called to be single-minded on the things of Jesus. And then Paul turns to the image of an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, the Olympics are right now. I don't know if any of you are watching the Olympics. I've watched a few things recently. And, but then I read this and I thought, well, this is obvious, right? Of course, you can't be crowned unless you compete according to the rules. But even the lead up to these Olympics, we've seen countless men and women be disqualified because they were cheating, because they were doing things illegal. They weren't running according to the rules. And as I look around the world, I see so many people trying to live outside the rules, yet desire the crown. So many people want heaven, yet they don't want Jesus. And Paul is telling Timothy here, we need to be like an athlete. We need to be devoted. We need to run with stamina, but we need to run according to the rules. So Timothy is to run according to the rules. He needs to follow the rules of the race. He needs to continue fighting the good fight. He needs to finish well, but he needs to do it Jesus' way. As Christians, we need to live according to God's rules for our life. In order that we might be crowned, not that we might be held back. A lot of people think that the rules of Christianity hold us back, but we hear and we read here, Paul is saying, no, if we run according to the rules, we will be crowned. But we live in an age where everyone wants things instantly or on demand. And Paul is saying that is not Christianity. We need to put in the hard work. We need to train. We need to endure that ultimately we might receive the crown. And for Christians, we receive the ultimate crown that one day we might dine with Jesus in paradise. For Christians, Jesus is our crown. So we run according to the rules. We endure suffering. We train hard. We're devoted to our race that we might receive the crown. And then Paul turns to his final image to share in suffering like a farmer. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Paul used this picture of a farmer to show Timothy that being a Christian, being a minister of God's word specifically, is hard work. But that your labor is not in vain, that we might share in the crops. And if we think about this, farmers are some of the most hardworking people that we know, right? But when this was written, the farmers didn't have the big machines or the tractors that they do today. 
These farmers would work hard, they'd work with their hands, they'd get dirty, they would sweat, they would labor, and then they would wait. They would work hard and then they would wait patiently. Right? They, didn't, they knew they could not get a quick reward. But they didn't wait idly either. They were preparing for the harvest. So Paul is encouraging Timothy, work hard at the faith. Work hard at being holy in the faith. Work hard at putting to death sin in your life. Work hard at proclaiming the gospel, preaching the gospel to those around you, guarding the good deposit, entrusting it to others. But also wait. And as Christians, we are called to sow, we're called to water, and we're called to wait. Why? Because it is God who gives the growth. Timothy might have been discouraged, like he's been working hard. He might be thinking, I've been working so hard, Paul, but I haven't seen any of the fruit to my labor. I haven't seen any growth. I haven't seen, in fact, I feel like things are getting harder, right? But Paul writes to Timothy and says, Continue to work hard by the grace that is in Christ. Why? Because you will share in the crops. And the most common understanding of this sharing in the crops is that of a spiritual reward, right? It might be that of a righteousness within Timothy. Or for those who work hard, they might become more like Jesus and that is their reward. And I think for some, it might actually be the reward of seeing the fruits of your labor of seeing people come to meet Jesus as you proclaim the gospel. But whether it's now or whether it's in eternity, Jesus promises that our labor is not in vain and that we will receive the share of the crops. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain. Whether now or eternity, we will see the fruit of our labor. So let's keep fighting sin in our life. Let's keep praying for those we know who don't know Jesus. Let's keep putting sin to death. And let's keep growing in our faith, becoming more like Jesus. Let's put in the hard work that we might see and share in the fruits of our labor by grace. So Paul has been trying to encourage Timothy through this letter so far. Be strengthened by grace first for discipleship. Be strengthened by grace to endure and share in suffering. Now he turns to what is probably his greatest appeal yet. He writes, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Timothy is to remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. He was the greatest soldier, the greatest athlete, the greatest farmer, and the greatest example of a sufferer. Ultimately, dying on the death, dying uh, on the cross, being put to death, but then rising again victoriously. Through his death, he brought life. Timothy, remember Jesus. To me, the same Jesus that strengthens you by His grace is the same Jesus that has saved you by His grace through His death and resurrection from the grave. 
Timothy, remember Jesus. This is the same promised Messiah from the Davidic line that you've read about in the Old Testament. Timothy, this is the same Jesus that your grandmother taught you about. Remember Jesus. Sometimes we just need to remember Jesus. We need to remember the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to remember that our greatest uh, problem that ever existed has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. That once we were dead to sin, but now we are alive in Christ. We are to preach the gospel to ourselves. Maybe when we feel like we can't keep going. Maybe when we're apathetic to the faith. Maybe when we are in suffering. We are to preach the gospel to ourselves. We are to remember Jesus. What He has done for us, but also His promises. His promise that He is alive. We are to be encouraged that Jesus is alive. But more than that, we are to be encouraged that His Word is also alive. Paul writes, I might be bound, but the Word of God is not bound. The Word of God can never be bound and never will be bound. This is why Paul encourages Timothy to entrust it to others, because God's Word is going out. Not only does God's Word speak into our pain, it speaks out of our pain. God's Word is not bound. And what I mean by this, what Paul means by this is not, not suffering or, or freedom, not restriction, not even COVID lockdowns can stop the word of God moving. God is moving. God is saving people through the proclamation of his word. And this is what Paul is encouraging Timothy. Yes, I might be in change, but God's word is not bound. God is saving people through his word. Continually, continue to preach the gospel, Timothy. As Timothy sits there, questioning everything, looking at everything around him, wondering, can I keep going? Paul is saying, I get it. It might be hard. You might be suffering, but keep on going because the gospel is moving. God is saving his people. God's word is not bound. There are people out there that do not yet know Jesus, that have not yet heard the gospel. And Paul says, this is the reason why he endures everything. He writes, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. They also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul gave his life to preaching and teaching the gospel. Why? For the sake of the elect. That they may hear the gospel proclaimed. Paul wasn't saying there's a select few that are worthy of him suffering. No, because Paul didn't know who the elect were. But he knew they needed to hear the gospel. See, this isn't a passage about predestination or election. This is an encouragement that our labor is not in vain because through the proclamation of the gospel, through the proclamation of God's word, that he is saving his people, that he is calling his children home. So we are to be on the task of gospel proclamation. Not only preaching gospel to ourselves, but preaching the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus. And so I wonder how much are we willing to endure for those who have yet not met Jesus? Are we willing to endure an awkward conversation? Are we willing to endure possible rejection? Are we willing to endure people thinking that we are strange? Or maybe even somebody saying to us, wow, tell me more. How much are we willing to endure for those who do not yet know Jesus? Paul says everything. 
This is why I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, because Jesus is calling his children home. And whether we're called to make disciples, to share in suffering, to proclaim the gospel, to endure, Paul wants to make sure we remember we can only do this by the strength that comes from grace in Christ. We are to do this as we are strengthened by grace in Jesus. And then as Paul wraps up, he finishes with this trustworthy saying. He writes, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. If we have died with him, we'll also live with him. This is the promise of the gospel. That those who are partaking in Christ's death will also partake in his resurrection. Those who have died a death to sin and to the fleshly desires and put their trust in Jesus will live with him in eternity. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we fight the good fight, if we endure, we run the race and finish well, we will reign with Jesus. In the face of persecution and opposition, if we endure, if we get through by grace in Christ, we will reign with Jesus. And then comes a warning. He says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we deny Jesus, he will deny us. He says himself in Matthew 32 to 33. Everyone therefore acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now this denial is not a temporary frustration or a, uh, a doubt of the faith or uh, a stumble. No, this is a, this is a eternal denial. This is a, I don't want you, Jesus. This is a turning away from the faith, living the own, own life permanently. If we deny him, he will deny us. And then verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. There are several uh, ideas about what this last verse means. A lot of people think this is a promise. That if we just walk away from the faith, that if we give up on Jesus, we live our own life, we abandon the faith, we are faithless, that he will remain faithful to us, that he will save us in the end. Some believe keeping more in line with the structure of this uh, saying, you know, promise, promise, warning, that this is another warning to come. That if we are faithless, he remains faithful, actually means he remains faithful to punish those who walk away from him, to punish those who deny him. And this is a warning to those who walk away from the faith. But I think this verse actually points more towards the faithfulness of God despite our faithlessness. The faithfulness to himself and the faithfulness to his promises. So yes, it's a warning that God will be faithful to punish those and to judge those who walk away from him. Why? Because he doesn't force anybody into heaven. But it also means that he is faithful to those who trust in him. Faithful to his free gift of unending grace. Faithful to his never ceasing mercy. Faithful to his unconditional love for those who place their trust in him. Faithful that when we aren't like the soldier, 
when we don't fight the good fight, when we're not focused, when we, when we stumble, that He's faithful to, to bring us back in by His gentle hand. Faithful when we're running the race like an athlete and we slip and we stumble into a way that might not be God's way, that He's faithful to gently bring us back in by His mercy. Faithful when the work before us seems too hard and we try and we fall, He is faithful to strengthen us by His grace. When we're confused, when we're questioning things, God is faithful. Why? Because that is who He is. He is faithful to His promises. So let's continue to trust in Jesus. Maybe you're here and you do not know Jesus. Maybe you're at a point where you're questioning, what is this Christianity? Who is this Jesus guy? I want to encourage you, put your faith in Jesus because He is faithful. He is worthy. He's faithful to save us. He is faithful to sustain us. He's faithful to the point of death on a cross for us that we might receive life in Him. So my encouragement is, Let's be strengthened by grace daily. Let's let the Lord strengthen us by His grace every day, every moment. As we proclaim the gospel, as we make disciples, as we endure suffering, as we live lives focused with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's let the Lord strengthen us by His grace. Let's let grace get us through, not our works, but Jesus. Let's remember Jesus, that He is alive. And that His Word is not bound. No matter what's going on around us, Jesus is faithful. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 